Hey, good morning once again. Welcome to Hope and Anchor Church. Uh, it's good to be back. Uh, my wife and I uh, had a chance to go to Portugal last week, and uh, something we uh, tried to do every year is go on a trip, just her and I. I was just explaining this, I think, <laughs> that we had kids when we were young. We were married when we were young, and we started having kids when we were young, so we kind of put the uh, idea of international travel on hold, I mean, as a bunch of kids will do. Uh, but now that we're to a point where we can travel, it's kind of nice to be able to go places and uh, you kind of develop a new skill set. Uh, Google Flights is one of them. Uh, travel Zoo. You know, finding good deals on travel has been like one of those like recreational pursuits of ours now. But anyway, keep an eye on it and uh, try to travel. It's really fun. Uh, Portugal is great. Um, yeah, I don't have anything about that in my notes. So that's all I got to say about that, Jen A. All right. Today we're jumping back into our Rock of Ages teaching series, the uh, learning adventure with the Apostle Peter. As you recall, we spent, I think, the first eight weeks just uh, walking with Peter, learning about his, his encounters with Jesus, who he was, where he was from, all those like formative experiences that helped him become, that God used to form him into the man that the church needed. The, the, the man that Jesus would establish as the, the head of the church, the, the rock upon which he would build uh, his church. And so this is week, uh, now we're, and then we got into his first letter, and that's where we are now. We're in Peter's first letter. Uh, today we'll be at the end of, uh, not the end, middle of chapter 3 of 1 Peter. So this is week 18 of Rock of Ages, and today's message is called The Wrong Side of the Road wrong side of the road. On two occasions, I have spent a week driving on the wrong side of the road. On purpose, actually. Uh, the first time I did this, it was uh, my wife and I took uh, my oldest two children, uh, Maddie and Samuel, to Ireland for their senior trip. This is something we try to do, take them two at a time when they're around their senior year on a trip to Europe. And that was our first foray into that. We went to Ireland several years ago now. Um, and the second time, uh, just last year, Christy and I uh, spent a week exploring southern England. And both of these times, uh, in Ireland and in the UK, we discovered that they drive on the wrong side of the road. I mean, what's, what's going on here? Why are they driving on the wrong side of the road? Uh, there's history there, which I could bore you with later, but um, it was a significant adjustment to fly in, land, rent a car, and find that you had to do everything on the other side of the road. There was a real cognitive shift to figure out how to do normal driving things in an opposite way. Has anyone else ever driven in Ireland or, um, or the UK or Australia, one of the few random places that drive on the other side of the road? Anyone? Wow, this is a... Huh? I've driven right-hand drive cars, but... On the right side of the road. Yeah, that's got to be strange, too, like a mailman. Were you a mailman? <laughs> Especially in Ireland, we had rented a car with a manual transmission, which, as difficult as you might imagine it is to drive on the opposite side of the road, imagine yourself doing that in a stick shift. We rented a manual transmission, so not only were, was I driving on the left side of the road, but I was shifting with my left hand. Yeah, thank the Lord, yes. The pedals were the same. I, there would have been some horrifying accidents happening. if. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, the pedals are the same, but the shifting with your left hand, you have zero muscle memory on how to shift with your, do that right-handed thing with your left hand. Um, combined 
with jet lag and unfamiliarity both inside and outside the vehicle, the experience was physically cumbersome and mentally taxing. So you fly in, you're tired already from a long, long day of travel, and then you've got to do this task that is very front of the mind. Everything is conscious and like has to be thought through, and it is tiring. Holy moly, it was hard. In a short amount of time, I had to figure out how to do a familiar thing, drive a car, in a very unfamiliar way and in an unfamiliar place. There were fits and starts. There were moments of intense doubts and confusions uh, at roundabouts and intersections, uh, stalling and sputtering, missing turns. Two things I remember coming to our first roundabout. It's like, people have a hard enough time with roundabouts here, driving the, the normal way. But you go there and you're like, oh no, I gotta go left into this roundabout and not die. How do I do this? Uh, or trying to get out into an intersection quick and like stalling the car and there's like a lorry, a, a truck coming like, like this is how it ends, you know? Um, yeah, it's tough. A lot of fits and starts, a lot of fear. Uh, but here's one thing I noticed. Inside the car, we quickly determined, we, di we discovered that we had to get along. There was nothing to be gained for, from me and Christy you know, sniping at each other or, or yelling or freaking out, the kids chiming in from the backseat. That was not going to help in this situation. So quickly, inside the car, we had to all get along. We had to figure out how to work toward the same end. And, and outside the car, I had to be humble. I had to be gracious and attentive toward others. As I was moving our family in that car on the wrong side of the road into their place that I knew nothing about. Working together, everyone inside the car was watching for road signs. Uh, Christy had a paper map out as well as our phones because they're slow. We had to have a map we were following as well. Uh, she had the map out and we were all focused together on the task at hand. Towards others, I was especially alert. I was careful to, to yield properly. Uh, I was careful to make room for others. I was uh, careful to stay in my lane and try to be considerate. I mean, there was real scary moments when you'd pull up to a, a four-way stop and you would look the wrong way. You'd be looking for traffic that wouldn't be coming from that way, and you'd almost start out and realize, oh, I need to look that way. Um, in, in London, this is a, an aside, but in London, as a pedestrian, if you come to a crosswalk or you come to a place where you have to cross a road, on the pavement, on the asphalt, they have printed in big letters, look left. Because they know Americans are going to come, or look right. I don't know. It says look right, or whichever opposite direction we're supposed to, we're not used to looking. It says look right. Wait, would that? Yeah, I think that'd be right. Yeah. Anyway, this is off topic, but but they knew that people like us, the rest of the world, would come there and like only look the wrong way, step out into the path of an oncoming vehicle unknowingly, and get harmed, killed. Look left. Anyway, so, um, so we were all focused on the task at hand. I don't remember suffering from one fit of road rage while I was in Ireland or England. I was too busy. I was too busy just keeping my car on the road. I was too busy uh, moving in the right direction and staying out of the ditches and out of the hedges and not running other people off the road. 
I was too engaged with what I was supposed to be doing to be lashing out at others. I didn't have time or energy or, or focus bandwidth for road rage because I had to figure out how to drive this car. So the lessons I've learned in driving on the wrong side of the road in Ireland and in the United Kingdom, they fit nicely in with the lessons we Christians uh, must learn in our world today. Let me explain what I mean. Maybe you've noticed, our world is a rapidly changing place. Our world is a rapidly changing place, transitioning rather quickly from being the quote-unquote Christian West into being a place that is actively hostile toward Christians. Yeah, just in a matter of a decade or two, there's been a marked shift in the attitude, the countenance toward anything Christian in our country. So what used to be called falsely the Christian West has become actively hostile toward Christianity. Going beyond merely becoming less grounded in Judeo-Christian values and ethics, our society in America has become vehemently opposed to anything that smells or tastes like Christian. There's like a, an, an allergy, a systemic allergen in our It's like, oh, ugh, anything Christian must be bad, categorically bad, evil, and must be eradicated from the public uh, discourse. Uh, most people anticipated the United States to follow Europe in becoming what's called post-Christian, moving beyond that idea of Christendom culturally. Uh, sometime during the 21st century, but we seem to have skipped right over being post-Christian into being uh, anti-Christian. There's an anti-attitude toward people of faith in Jesus now, which is startling and, and rather uh, unfortunate and scary. Popular culture in America happily overlooks sanctioned violence against unbelievers and radical oppression of women in other religions in order to zero in on the distinctives and beliefs of Jesus's followers. Have you noticed this? It's like there's a microscope being held up to Christians and their beliefs, all the while ignoring just the, 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 the outrageous abuses and oppression and violence going on in the world in the name of other religions. Even in the United States it's happening, but it's not that big of a deal because it doesn't fit the ideological or political discourse. So familiarity, I think, breeds contempt. Because Christian, Christianity has been kind of baked into the American experience from the beginning, now people are just kind of rejecting that and rebelling it. There's a protest that's common now because most people that are so anti-Christian oftentimes grew up in that Christian milieu or that Christian context, right? So now they're rejecting it and they feel uh, a lot of emotional heat <laughs> toward it. And so I think maybe part of that's happening, that familiarity breeds contempt. What's happening uh, in the name of uh, Allah in Islam doesn't affect us so emotionally because we're not that familiar with it. It's something happening out there by people doing it to these other people. And that's bad. We know it's wrong, but it's not our thing, right? Because uh, most people here weren't raised in an Islamic or a Muslim 
context, right? So maybe this is happening in some other Muslim country. There's this familiarity that breeds contempt. But I think that that might be at the, at the core of what's going on in America. Familiarity breeds contempt. So a strange and uncomfortable situation has developed, but it is not that unfamiliar to the faithful historically. The church throughout history has often had to learn to live in a world that is opposed to their way of life, uh, the church has had to learn to live in a world where they, need to, they must learn to drive on the other side of the road culturally. We must learn to do something in an unfamiliar, a familiar thing in an unfamiliar way and place. As such, we too must once again learn to do two things. We must learn how to get along inside the car and pay attention to what is going on outside the car if we are to travel and arrive safely. Does that make sense? The lessons I learned in the UK and in Ireland are the lessons I think we need to learn as a church in the, uh, Christian, uh, the, the, the Christian climate or the American climate toward Christianity we find ourselves today. We have to pay attention to what's going on inside the car, inside the church, and we need to be paying attention to what is going on outside the car if we are to travel and arrive safely. So, in 1 Peter, Chapter 2 and 3, the Apostle has given us valuable guidance on how to live under the Lordship of Jesus in our relationships with others. If you can remember where we've been, beginning with submission to government authorities in chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, and then speaking to slaves and wives and husbands in chapter 2, verses 18 through chapter 3, verse 7, Peter gives gospel coordinates. He gives travel insights for his, to his fellow travelers. Now, in chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, Peter speaks to the whole church again. He speaks to the whole church again as they seek to honor Jesus in how they live together and how they interface with the world. Okay, so here we find guidance for those things we need. How do we live together well in honoring Jesus and how do we interface with the world and honor Jesus? Okay, so let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Remember, he says finally here because he's kind of bringing together all he's been talking about with government authorities, slaves, wives, husbands. Finally then, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and He will bless you for it. For the Scriptures say, If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and His ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns His face against those who do evil. So verse 8, let's start there. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. So it's helpful to divide this passage today into two parts inside the car and outside the car. If you can kind of keep that framework in mind, okay? Inside the car 
and outside the car. Verse 8 is Peter's inside the car guidance. Okay, hey guys, here's what ought to be happening inside the car of the fellowship, okay? Verse 8. Uh, verse 9 is his outside the car wisdom, okay? Uh, then in verses 10 through 12, Peter collects both parts into a unified whole, kind of that, that overarching thrust of what he's trying to say. Inside the fellowship, which our fellowship, the Christian fellowship, provides uh, a relatively safe workspace in which to develop these necessary skills. So inside the fellowship, we are to strive to be of what Peter calls one mind. What do you think of when it says, hey, let's all be of one mind? What other words come to, come to your thoughts? Agreement? What else? Unified? Okay, be of one mind. Agreement? Be unified? What else? At peace, that's, that's a key aspect, right? There's a, none of that win-at-all-costs mentality, right? Cooperation. Cooperation. Being of one mind. There's a lot being said in one little phrase there. One mind. Be of one mind. All these things and more probably, right? As we learn to live well and rightly together as a family, we become better equipped to engage the wider world as truth-tellers and peacemakers. You see how what's happening inside the car has direct bearing on what's going to happen then outside the car, right? We get this right, things are going to go better out there for us, right? With us, okay? So get it right inside the car, and we're more equipped, better equipped to engage the wider world as truth-tellers and peacemakers. So how do we cultivate being of one mind? Well, he says, hey, be sympathetic. Be sympathetic with each other. I mean, you could unpack that, right? What does it mean to be sympathetic towards somebody? What do you give up when you say, hey, I'm going to give this person some grace. I'm going to listen more closely. Be sympathetic with each other. Love like family. Be tender-hearted and strive to say, stay humble. I mean, there's a whole study here we could do if we had time, but right? He says here, here's how you can cultivate being of one mind. Be sympathetic with each other, love like family, be tender-hearted, and stay humble. Strive to stay humble. Going beyond simply sharing core beliefs about God, about Jesus, and about the Holy Spirit, we must learn to live together in a way that bears resurrection witness. We should be seeking, working toward bearing well resurrection witness. Uh, Matthew Henry explains it this way. Peter teaches us how Christians and friends should treat one another. He advises Christians to be all of one mind, to be unanimous in the belief of the same faith and the practice of the same duties of religion. And whereas the Christians at that time were many of them in, suffer in a suffering condition, he charges them to have compassion one of another, to love as brethren, to pity those who are in distress, and to be courteous to all. Hence, learn... Number one, Christians should endeavor to be all of one mind in the great points of faith, in real affection, and in Christian practice, practice they should be like-minded one to another according to Christ Jesus, not according to man's pleasure, but God's word. Number two, though Christians cannot be exactly of the same mind, 
Yet they should have compassion one for another, and love as brethren. They ought not to persecute or hate one another, but love one another with more than common affection. They should love as brethren. And number three, Christianity requires pity to the distressed and civility to all. So what we are doing inside the car as the church in the fellowship, it has direct bearing on how we engage with what's going on outside the car. Do you see that connection? If we are biting and devouring each other inside the fellowship, as the Apostle Paul points out or warns in Galatians chapter 5, verse 15, if we are biting and devouring each other, what are we going to do then when those outside the fellowship launch their attacks upon us? When the, when the world brings their hostility to bear on the church, what are we going to do if we've already been biting and devouring each other? We are already fragmented and damaged from the wounds we've inflicted upon each other. What are we going to do then when persecution comes? When the attacks and the hostility come, what are we going to do? Yeah, we'll fall apart. We're going to be in disarray. We'll be unable to put together, put, put forward a, 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 a unified front. We're going to be unable to support and care for each other. So let's look at verse 9. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and He will bless you for it. The first century was a challenging time for the church. Is that new to anybody? I mean, <laughs> the first century was hard. It was hard. Christianity was not the approved religion. It was a difficult time for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our Christian brothers and sisters, long ago, they were facing conflict both inside the fellowship with heresies and, and betrayals, but they were mostly facing hostility and persecution from the outside, from the empire, from the culture that did not understand, approve, or allow what they were doing. So the Christians, they needed to hold fast to their faith. They needed to be unified in their life together. They needed to be like Jesus in how they responded to those who treated them badly. I mean, how does that make you feel that your faith will be most intensively tested and proven when you are treated badly? Not when you're being applauded or cheered for or welcomed into the room, but when you're being dumped on, when you're being uh, maligned. How you respond to that, that's when your faith is actually shining most brightly. When you're being treated poorly, are you responding like Jesus did when he was, uh, checks notes, <laughs> treated worse than you? Yeah, right? I mean, he did not curse them. He did not spew venom. He loved them and he sought God's forgiveness in their life. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Instead of repaying evil with evil, retaliating with insults, to insults with insults, Jesus' people are to respond gracefully. We are to offer blessings and kindness even in the face of vitriol and anger against us. N.T. Wright uh, describes it this way. You have to learn. You have to learn this new habit of seeking peace because it will be all too easy to lapse into the way many people behave. Here is the irony. 
Christians are supposed to stand out as distinctive, but when we do and are mocked and criticized for it, we are tempted to mock and criticize right back. And, and then we are no longer distinctive because we are behaving just like everyone else. Another victory for the hostile world. When Christians give as good as they get, when they re repaying slander with slander, they are colluding with the surrounding world just as surely as if they went along with immorality or financial corruption. And the pressure's there. When we're being attacked, when, we're being, uh, when hostility is coming to bear, and we just start turning and spewing and fighting back and returning as we get, you know, giving insults for insults, we lose our distinctiveness, and then we're just, just as bad as the world. We're just as bad as those on the attack. Yes, it's hard to do this. I don't want to just, you know, like, oh, you know, the first century Christians had it much harder. And it's hard now, too. It's always hard. It's difficult. But it wasn't any easier back then. I think it's always been difficult for Christians to be distinctive. I mean, but we've not yet been thrown to the lions. We've not yet been burned as, as, as torches at parties. I mean, but even still... Peter's immediate audience was increasingly familiar with hardship, with suffering, with loss. Through the Holy Spirit's empowering, Peter is telling us that it is possible to be like Jesus and to resist the temptation of living and responding like those in the world. He says it's possible. One of the ways the Holy Spirit's at work in you is giving you the, the ability, the strength, to not give in to your base instincts, to retaliate, to fight back, but to instead be like Jesus and give blessings. And in this peace-seeking life, we find that God's blessing awaits us. I mean, did you see that there at the end of verse 9? This is what God has called you to do, and He will bless you for it. He will bless you for it. Let's look at verses 10 through 12. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. And his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. So here the apostle Peter is citing the Psalms. This is an excerpt from the psalm, Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16. Here he calls our attention to God's promise of a joy-filled life and of happy days for those who discipline themselves and keep their tongues from spewing evil and keep their lips from telling lies, who, people who turn from wickedness, who do good, who search for, who cultivate and share peace. He's describing the kind of life that we are to, to pursue, the kind of activities we are to cultivate in our time, in our interactions, these kind of things. What's he say? Keep your tongue from spewing evil. Keep your lips from telling lies. Turn from wickedness. Do good. Search for, cultivate, and share peace. And know... That as you do these things, as you commit to doing these things, God is watching over you and He is attentive to your prayers. 
Although you may suffer, which suffering is going to be a theme we're going to come back to over the next few weeks, the faithful are assured of this. Those who are pursuing Christ-likeness and are living faithfully according to God's will and His commands, they have right standing with God, and they are secure in His safekeeping. You can know this, regardless of whatever you're enduring or suffering, you know that keeping your focus on Jesus and trying to live and respond just like He would, we can be assured of our right standing with God and our security in His safekeeping. So to close, the church in the West has enjoyed a charmed existence for centuries. And I don't know if that's over, if that's finished for good, but for now, it feels kind of finished. Our charmed existence has, has come to an end. Things have changed, and the church once again finds herself in territory that feels hostile. Although it feels like quite the adjustment for us living now who have experienced it both ways, we have, we have the necessary guidance in Scripture. We have in Scripture guidance on, on how to live and behave rightly and well in a hostile world. There doesn't need to be like a software update or like something we're like, oh dear, I haven't seen this before. We gotta, we gotta update this with an appendix or an addendum to the Bible. No, it's here. This has been our story all along. Thriving in the midst of hardship. Being peacemakers in the midst of conflict. Just as the promise was held out to our Christian brothers and sisters so long ago, we can trust in it ourselves now. We can know that God is faithful. God was faithful in the first century, and God will continue to be faithful in the 21st century. Ours is to live obediently and to live how we've been told, that following the example that Christ has set for us. And just as there was much writing on the Christian's witness there in the first century, our responses here and now in our hostile world, in our hostile time, matter more than you realize. N.T. Wright explains it well, and he kind of cuts to the core here. A good Christian conscience means a good witness in a puzzled and suspicious world. It may take time to have its effect, but that's a lot better than a single moment of stupidity which gives the watching world the perfect excuse to ignore the gospel ever afterward. So sure, your feelings have been hurt. You got trolled on social media. So you fire back. You fire back. You, you, you troll in return. You turn this person into a smoking crater in the ground. like, got them. What a stupid move. What if you blew your Christian witness altogether and you gave them the perfect excuse to ignore the gospel ever afterward because you gave in to your fleshly instincts to retaliate and fire back? Shame on us if we do. It is better to enter the kingdom without fingers that can type stupid stuff or something. That's probably not, that's in the message probably, but... But you understand what's at stake here? That one moment of weakness, of letting our anger control us, and us retaliating, and blowing our Christian witness forever. Leading that person, giving that person license to ignore the gospel ever after, 
that should hang in our hearts. Lord, make us peacemakers. Give us the ability to, even if we're hanging on the cross, say, God, forgive these people. They don't know what they're doing. They have no idea of the love and the compassion and the kindness that's been shown to them. So as we go out into the world, may we be of one mind. May we be loving each other well. May we be searching for peace and may we be bearing our witness day in and day out. May we be bearing our resurrection witness well. May we be alert to all the important things going on inside the car of the church so that we can faithfully navigate all of the challenges and opportunities that present themselves outside the car as we go into the world. Deal? Deal. Deal. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, thanks for your word. Thank you for the uh, conviction that comes through Peter's words here. Holy smokes. Lord, it's so hard to always be kind and always let stuff roll off of us, especially when the attacks keep coming, when the insults steep, keep uh, being leveled at us. Lord, it's hard to be like Jesus sometimes. And sometimes we shoot our mouths off. We sometimes fire back through the keyboard. We, um, we cause a lot of damage, more damage than I think we realize. And, and so, God, I pray that uh, you would hear our prayers today as we confess our tendency to do that. We repent of the times we have done so. God, heal the damage in us, in our church, and in our world, in our relationships, the damage that's been done by stupidity, by weakness on our part. God, may you drive deeply into our, each of us a desire and a commitment to obedience, to peacemaking, that we would focus first on, on seeking uh, trust and uh, care and kindness inside the fellowship, that we would be focusing on the task at hand that we wouldn't be distracted by all the, all the petty stuff around us, all the, all the sinful and silly stuff going on, but that we'd be focused on the task at hand so that when we engage the world around us, we'd have a winsome, a wise, a life-giving word to share, that our resurrection witness would uh, shine brightly in our world, especially in those moments where it's, it's odd where in our human, fleshly, worldly context, there would be, uh, there would be, would be fighting back. But instead, we're speaking words of peace and of love. God, I pray that you give us the strength to do that. God, save us from biting and devouring each other in the church. God, so many of the difficulties the church faces in America today are self-inflicted wounds. So God, help us to grow up. Help us to become more mature. Give us uh, wisdom so that we can call things by their proper name in the church so that your bride would be beautiful and that we would be traveling on the road in the right way toward the right destination for your glory, for our good, and for the blessing of the world. Lord, we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Here, we're going to take a moment or two just to sit with the Lord. I mean, there's some things here you need to process. Maybe lay before the Lord yourself. Uh, if you'd like to pray with me, I'd be back. I'll be, I, I will be back there. Got my tenses mixed up. But uh, yeah, I'll be back there and I'd love to pray with you. But here's an opportunity for you to sit with the Lord and say, God, 
How have things been going on inside the car of my life with my family, with my church fellowship? And how have I been maybe driving people into the ditch out in the world? Maybe I've been showing some real religious road rage lately because I feel like things are unfair. I don't like how things are. Maybe our politics, maybe our other stuff has got so tangled up in our the way we're living out our Christian faith. Our resurrection witness has really been buried under a lot of crud, a lot of extraneous stuff. Maybe the Holy Spirit could come today and clear that stuff away. Maybe let you see clearly some things that you need to see very clearly today. Much can happen today, so make the most of this opportunity.